You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. Uh, this is part four of the Ten Commandments. We've been breaking them down into little sections. And uh, Lord willing and the creek don't rise. That's what we say in Kentucky where I'm from. Is that what they say in Ohio too? Lord willing and the creek don't rise? Yeah, Janelle's from Ohio. So we've got that like, uh, that Southern mind. Yeah, it's Lord willing and the creek don't rise, right? Because the, the flooding of the creek changes everything when you live in the South like that. And so, um, so Lord willing, the creek don't rise. We're gonna get through three commandments and we'll finish out the Ten Commandments. Uh, tonight. Um, so we better get started. Last week we talked about adultery, okay? Uh, adultery, not idolatry. Adultery. Uh, and we talked about all of the implications of that commandment. We talked about the idea of that God created sex and that uh, Pastor Daniel went into uh, the, the beauty of what God created in that inside of the bounds of marriage and the trust and the things that it breaks when adultery is involved. And he went into also Jesus talking about the idea of even in our minds, we, we break that commandment um, in our thought lives, in, in those types of things. And so, um, and, and I just want you to remember as we talk about these things that um, the purpose of the law is to drive us to the cross. And so when we study the law, when we look at the law, okay, the law is intended to, in some ways, condemn us. We're condemned. Jesus didn't come to condemn us, John 13, I mean, John 3, 17 says, but we are condemned by our own actions as they stand against God's perfect law. And so we have to remember that as we look at the scripture. And, and you're gonna see tonight, you know, um, you're guilty. You're guilty. We're all guilty as we go through these things. There's not a one of us in this room that hasn't dishonored our mom and dad at some point, especially when we were 14 to 17 years old. Amen there in the back. I just heard it. Just a big shout of amen, right? Uh, or if you didn't, you were a way better teenager than I was, okay? Um, I think that, you know, God hears the things you say under your breath, even though you're honoring your mom to her face, and then you walk away and you say, yes. Uh, so uh, that, that is a reality, and we always want to remember that as we study the Scripture, as we look at the law, is they're meant to drive us to the cross, they're meant to drive us to the cross. And still today, not just in the idea of drive you to the cross for salvation, okay, which that's exactly what the law should do, is it should tell us that we are sinners in need of a savior. It should show us that we're broken, that the work of the Holy Spirit coming into us, revealing that to us alongside of the law, of God's perfect law, showing us that we need Jesus but now I have Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. But here's the reality. This is moral law. This is law that God has still set before us so that we could understand what it means to, to walk uprightly, to represent him in these things. And we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight as we look at some of these uh, scriptures that we're going to do. Because uh, the one uh, the two that I've been given tonight, I, I will be doing three, and uh, we're all guilty of all three of them, uh, but these are probably the easiest ones 
for us to break, right? These are the easiest ones for us to um, compromise, to make excuses for. And so we'll be looking at the last three laws tonight. Let's pray before we jump into God's word. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord, uh, you are good and holy, Lord. And we just ask you, Lord, as we read your word tonight, Lord, that um, your spirit would minister to our hearts, that you would uh, teach us through these things that we're about to study, Lord. And I do just pray, Lord, that um, more of you and less of me in this message, Lord, that the people in this room would be blessed, would be encouraged, and would be uplifted. Lord, that conviction in areas where you desire conviction, Lord. So uh, we do just pray that you would guide us and direct us, Lord, and may all that we do in this place, Lord, our actions, our words, everything, just bring glory and honor to you. In your holy name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 15. And so we have to remember, okay, uh, as, as we've been doing, as we go through all of these, as we read through these, we have to assess these things from what does the commandment mean and what does this command teach us about the Lord? Those are our two main things that we've been focused on while we go through the Ten Commandments. What does the commandment mean and what is that teaching us about God? All right? And so um, I once had uh, a friend had written in the front of his Bible and he said, study this not to know this better but to know him better, to know him better, okay? And uh, I am a school teacher. I teach Bible at a Christian school. And um, one of the things that I often tell my students is I've traveled a lot and I've done a lot of uh, ministry tours uh, throughout Israel and Greece and Turkey and these types of places. And I've encountered a lot of very religious people in my journeys, uh, monks who have... Uh, sacrificed everything to study the scripture and to dig in and spend their days praying. And they were some of the meanest people I ever met in my whole life. And I'm not even kidding. We, I literally had a monk yelling at 30 kids how horrible they were to actually wear shorts in public. And I thought to myself, we, you get all of it, you get all of that, but you're not understanding the character of God as you study scripture. You're just, he could probably memorize books of the Bible and recite them back to me. And you can do that all day long. But if you're not understanding the character of God and capturing who God is as a believer, as we study his word, then we're missing the point. Then we're missing the point. So as we study the law, we don't want to become legalistic. We don't want to start condemning others around us. We want to remember that it was just minutes ago in glory that you got saved right? I don't care if you've been walking with the Lord for uh, 50 years. In God's eyes, it was a moment ago. It's so, uh, time is different to God, right? And so we quickly look at other people and begin to judge other people. Uh, so we'll, we'll take a look at that. Let's read the scripture here, all right? He says, you shall not steal you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And I'm gonna stop right there. That's the last three commandments. We see them right there. Don't steal, 
Don't bear false witness against your neighbor and don't covet your neighbor's house, okay? His wife and so forth and so on. So don't covet. So uh, let's take a look at these and break them down uh, specifically. So we're going to look at command number eight, okay? Which means don't steal, okay? You're guilty, right? You're guilty. We're all guilty, okay? Uh, This commandment, seems self-explanatory. I, I really don't have to say much, right? Stop stealing. Stop stealing. But, but I do think there, there is more that we need to talk about because most of us are not struggling with, with walking into Target and shoving ribeyes up under our, our shirts, okay? Um, you know, one of the most horrifying things I've ever seen was I was in a Publix one time and I, I, I watched a, uh, like, I think the kid was like six, eight years old, uh, stealing a tray of ribeyes uh, under their shirt. And of course, you know, that's the parent uh, making them do that. But most of us are not going to struggle like that, right? Most of us are not going to struggle like that. We're not going to go in and steal a pack of gum uh, from uh, the store. We're not, we're not going to do those kind of things. We know better. We know better. Even our society, not just God's word, tells us that's bad. Even the atheist, okay, says you shouldn't do that, right? And so when we look at this command, I I think that we need to go a little bit deeper, okay? Uh, So now, I hope and I pray that you haven't been quick to judge when you've seen somebody that's got caught for stealing. Have you been to target when the police are standing outside arresting someone because they just got caught for stealing? What's the first thought that goes through your mind, right? Uh, so, but here's the thing. My, my goal here is not to condemn you, but rather to show us that we're weak, okay? We steal regularly. We steal regularly. You guys recognize that? Do you know that? Okay. Um, if you're working, Where is it? And I just stop and scroll social media for a little while at work. I just stole time from my boss that I'm getting paid to work the job that they've hired me to work, not to scroll social media, okay? Now, here's here's what we do, and this is the dangerous part. Well, I do work a lot of overtime and stuff like that, so they owe me 15 minutes. Come on. Come on right? Come on. What would you do if your boss walked by? (laughs) Right? Well, that means you know you're stealing his time, her time. It doesn't. So, uh, so that is one of those things, right? And, and there's little ways that we steal taxes, not reporting income. Ouch. Right? And so again, the ideal here is not to condemn you, but just to give you a moment to check yourself the next time you're being super judgmental to the guy getting arrested outside of Target. Because we're guilty too, okay? We're guilty too. We make little uh, concessions for our sins. But you know, when Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees, when he was dealing with the people in Matthew chapter 5, even the people on, on, in the Sermon on the Mount, these are the, his followers, his disciples, he's, he said, oh, right? 
You think you're good because of this and because of that, but let me tell you, that law is actually deeper. Understand the heart of the law, not just the letter of the law, and that's always the case. And so the heart of the law here in stealing is to be respectful. It's to be respectful of other people's stuff of other people's time and, and these types of things. So uh, my goal there, again, is not condemnation, but rather the idea that we're all broken people, okay? Um, so the next time you see somebody being put in handcuffs for stealing from Target or from Publix or Walmart or wherever you are, say a little prayer. God, let this moment in their life be the very thing that brings them to the feet of Jesus, because that's the reality of, of what the law can do for us. It can wake us up to the fact that we're broken and we need a Savior. That we're broken and we need a Savior. And so, uh, now, moving on, okay, don't bear false witness. And the simple way to say this is don't lie. Don't lie. Ooh, this is probably the most broken commandment out there. When you say, when you agree, right? It's probably the most broken commandment, right? It comes in so many forms. We lie to protect ourselves. We lie to make ourselves seem better. We lie to fit in, right? Yeah, I, I've done that. I did that. Yes, I did that. No, you haven't. But I need to fit in. I need to feel like I'm a part of this group and everybody else in the group has done that. And it's embarrassing that I've never done that. So I lie about it, okay? Those teenagers, they always do that, right? Oh, adults are just as guilty. Adults are just as guilty. We are just as guilty, right? Uh, so as a school teacher, I get a ton of lies on a daily basis about why I didn't do my homework, right? Okay, uh, so some of them really just go after it and like to be funny and say, uh, Mr. Shelley, uh, my dog ate my homework, um, you know, because that's the traditional uh, lie for that. And so uh, it's, it's very interesting when you look at Scripture because uh, this is one of those commandments when we talk about bearing false witness, okay? It, it can come in, in a multitude of ways. It does mean uh, lying. And, and so we want to make sure that we're not bearing false witness in the idea that we're not representing ourselves, like the commandment not to use God's name in vain, that we're not representing ourselves as as godly people, if we don't, we're not, right? We don't want to represent ourselves. We don't want to lie. We don't want to bear false witness to our neighbor, pretend to be something that we're not, okay? Um, and so, um, but it also comes in, in the sense that you tell a lie to get out of something. Now, Here's one of the debates that I've heard about lying specifically all throughout my walk with the Lord. What about Rahab? God blessed her for lying. Did he not? Did he not bless her for lying? So shouldn't that justify lying at some level in certain occasions, in certain moments? Well, there's a couple of debate, there's a couple of things that you can go with there. Rahab was not a believer when she lied. She later became a believer after she stood in that door and committed faithfully to the God of the Israelites because she recognized him above the gods of her people of Jericho. Okay? Now, secondly, 
if you're looking for reasons to justify your lying, then you probably have integrity issues in the first place. Okay? I mean, come on, y'all. Right? Because most of us are not in a situation, okay, where somebody has come to the door. Are you having a Christian Bible study in your home? Because if you are, in our country, that merits death. If you say yes, this soldier that just knocked on your door is probably going to put a bullet through you. And then everybody that's in your home studying the Bible with you will probably die also. Most of us will never be in that situation, right? We'll never be in that situation. So we really don't have to worry about those special circumstances that you see like Rahab because you're not going to be in that situation, all right? And if you are in that situation, I'm going to lean on what uh, they told, um, what, what Jesus told them uh, in the book of Acts. Don't worry when you stand before men, whether kings or dignitaries or anything, I'll give you the words to say. I'm just going to trust that Jesus is going to tell me how to deal with that, say, uh, that situation in that moment because the Holy Spirit lives in me and he's always with me. I can deal with that then. I don't need to work through in my head when's a justified time for lying and when is not a time to lie. I need to live in integrity and walk in truth. I need to walk in Truth, and I think that's why this one is so vital and so important. Think about what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the lie is the opposite of the truth, okay? It's the opposite of the truth. And so if we wish to follow him, we need to walk in truth. We need to not look for ways to figure out or justify our lies. We need to walk in the fullness of truth. One of my favorite stories, and uh, I, I really, I was a missionary for six years. I like missionary stories. And um, while the Ten Boom family were not quote-unquote missionaries in the traditional sense, uh, during World War II, they did open up their home um, in the Netherlands to uh, the Jewish refugees in that area and people that were there uh, when Hitler and his men came in, and they were trying to kill all the Jews in that area, okay? And so in 1942, Hitler sent out, sent out a mandate throughout all of Europe, and it was called the Final Solution. That was to round up every Jew that could be found in all of Europe and execute them, okay? And so uh, there were men in the streets looking for Jewish people in each country uh, where they knew that Jewish people were, right? And so the Ten Boom family had a watchmaker's shop, and so some of you guys probably know who Corey is, Corey Ten Boom. Maybe you've heard the story. If you haven't, it's a wonderful story. I highly recommend the book called The Hiding Place. They did make a movie for you non-book readers, okay? Um, so, um, so anyway, the, the story goes something like this. Corey and her family were in that situation, that if they said, yes, we have people in this house, those people were going to die, and so were they, okay? So there were often times where they were like, nope, no Jews here. And it's called the hiding place because in her room, there was a hole in the wall, a space in the wall, where six people could, could stand there. But and that's what we focus on when we think about the hiding place, and that's what everybody knows about. But they could have as many as 30 people in their home hiding at any given moment, okay? And so 
Corey's cousin, if I'm remembering correctly, I think it's a cousin. I can never remember what it is, okay, whether it's a cousin or a niece. But anyway, one of her young family members, a young teenage girl in Corey's house, now Corey was a, a teenager when all of this happened, refused to lie, ever. And they were like, you have to lie. People are going to die if you don't. And she says, I can't lie. I can't. I just don't believe in lying, ever. She was very strict about it, okay? So the Gestapo comes, and they raid the house, right? Now, they had a pretty good indication when they were going to come, right? And they'd ring a buzzer in the house, and you had 60 seconds to get into a hiding place somewhere in the house. One of the hiding places is a few of the floorboards were, could be removed underneath of the kitchen table and a body could fit underneath of there and they put the floorboards back, put the table on top of it, a tablecloth over top of it so you wouldn't see any distortion of those particular boards in the floor. And so they come into the house and of course, Corey's uh, cousin, niece, whichever, was the youngest in the house so they look at her and they said, young lady, are there Jews hiding in this house? And she said, yes, there are. Oh, the devastation that would flood over everyone in that home, right? And they said, where are they? She said, under the table. Oh my gosh, what have you done? So of course, they rip off the tablecloth. There's no one under the table. They push the table out of the way. There's no one under the table. They backhand the little girl for lying to them and leave the house, never finding a Jew in the place. So even in those situations, I don't think you want to jump to the conclusion, I have to lie. I have to lie, right? And so I think you really need to be guided by the Holy Spirit in those moments to know how to deal with that how to deal with that. And I think if you look back at the story of Rahab, God was in that story, okay? God was in that story. And I think if you look at believers throughout China and places, Iran, Iraq, that, that do tell a lie so that the people in their basement studying the Bible don't get shot, I think that they're trusting the Lord in those moments as to what to say. And I think that's where we need to be when we come that, because Jesus is the truth. And so when we look at that on the opposite side of that, let me see if we, John 8, says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. And he's talking to the Pharisees. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus is the truth. The devil is the father of lies. I'm going to stick on the truth side, y'all. I'm just saying, right? So this commandment's pretty strong. Be like Jesus, not like the devil. That's pretty much what it's telling us. He's the father of lies, and he's the father of truth, okay? He is truth. That's what Scripture says. Jesus is truth, and the devil is is the father of lies. So don't lie. Pretty simple, right? Pretty straightforward. And so our last commandment, our last, I'm doing great here, okay? At this rate, we'll, we'll end by 7.30, no problem. Okay, 
I'm kidding. If you're new here today, I'm just kidding. I always like to say we go at least three hours. Uh, no, we, we should be done uh, on time by 6.30. Okay, so, uh, and our last con- commandment, don't covet, right? What, what does this mean? Don't covet. Don't covet. And so, uh, when we look at this, and we know it comes with a list of things not to covet, right? We have to understand covetousness comes from a place of envy and jealousy. Envy and jealousy. To covet means you want what they have. You want what they have. And so, the idea is you're coveting their life. You're coveting their life, right? And he's very specific. He says, don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife, don't cover their servants. Don't covet their servants, okay? And so as he kind of goes through, he's going through all of the aspects of things that we might desire. Well, I like their house. I wish I had that house, right? Look at the car they drive. I wish I had that car. Look at his wife. I wish I had that wife. That one sounds odd, doesn't it? Okay? But think about these things, okay? Think about these things. A truly covetous heart, if I'm coveting my neighbor's wife, do you know how quickly that can lead to adultery? And so the idea of envy and jealousy leads to a multitude of sins. If I'm coveting my neighbor's stuff, do you know how quickly that could lead to stealing? Right? And so we see that this particular commandment actually encompasses a lot of different commandments. And so what we're saying when we covet is God's provision for me is not enough. I want more. Look at what he has. Okay? Now, I'm a big theater guy. My, I went to school for theater. I worked in professional theater for 10 years, okay? That's why my arms fly around all the time when I teach, okay? So, but one of the things, so as, as a Bible teacher, I really enjoy these skits and things that help people understand a little bit better. And, and so there's this one group, and I highly encourage you, look them up. They're a fun uh, group, but they have a very serious message. They're called One Time Blind, Okay, one time blind. And so it's just a group of, of young adults that decided to use their gifts and talents of acting and put on little skits that gave messages about the Lord. And they have this one message called uh, Coke. Coke, right? And so there's this character that plays Jesus, and he brings each of the people in the skit a gift. And so the one opens her gift, and it's a little tiny eight-ounce can of Coke. Coca-Cola, not, you know, come on, y'all. It's Jesus, right? Get this right, okay? And she's so excited until the other character opens his 20-ounce bottle of Coke. And then she hangs out after he leaves, and she's like, Jesus, what are you, do you hate me? Do you not love me as much as you love him? He's like, yes. 
I gave you exactly what I thought you would love and what I thought you needed. An eight-ounce can of Coke? And he's like, yes. A small can. I thought you would like that. I thought you would, you would appreciate that. I thought that was something that you would really enjoy. And she's like, well, yeah, but he's got 20 ounces. And he said, is it that you desire a larger one? And she's like, yes. All I want is exactly what he has. And the character Jesus says, okay, I'll go get it. And so he goes away. And in the meantime, the guy comes back. And he's like, look what I got! Two liters! And Jesus comes back with the 20-ounce Coke. And he says, here, here's your 20-ounce Coke, just like you asked for. And she's like, Jesus, really? Right? When we are coveting what somebody else has, we're not content with God's provision for our life. Okay? And so in some ways, it's kind of like, what's wrong with you, God? Their wife's prettier than my wife. They've got all this help in the house, and I have to do everything by myself. Right? And besides, look at that house. That's why they need all that help in the house. If my house was that big, maybe I would have all those helpers. God, where are you? Okay? So we're going to practice prosperity gospel, right? Okay, everybody get your wallets out. Okay? And we're, what we're going to do, okay, we're going to preach the pastor a new Mercedes. And so what I'm going to need you guys to do, because it's not fair that people drive Mercedes and the pastor has to drive. I mean, his car just broke down. Come on, y'all. Okay? Probably needs a new engine. So we're going to preach this thing up, right? And you guys are going to start bringing, and we're going to see the faith overflow in the church, and we're going to get the dollars to lay here on the altar in front of us until, okay, until we can get, because it's not good enough. And so, and you see it. Ouch. It might sting a little if somebody heard this that does that. But uh, So the, the ideal here is uh, Hebrews uh, 13.5. This is the New King James Version, and I'll tell you why I use this. We usually use the ESV around here. But in this version, it uses the word covetousness. And then I'll tell you what ESV uses. And it says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Right? And so we have to remember as people, as believers, that we need to be content. We need to be content. Now, guys, please don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with having nice things, okay? But if my goal and my desire is to have nicer things simply because my neighbor has nicer things, then my heart is it's in a bad place. It's in a sinful place. I'm coveting, right? And I think at some level, all of us struggle with it a little bit, just a little bit, right? Just a little bit. You know, just a little bit. I mean, that's okay, isn't it? That's okay, just a little bit. As long as everything else is great, just a little bit. Another skit that I really like, these two guys called the skit guys, 
believers. They do this just a little bit skit. And they make these perfect brownies. And they say, I made these perfect brownies for you. Right? They have the finest flour and the finest powdered chocolate and the best eggs that money can buy and the best ingredients overall. And I whipped them up, but right there at the end, added just a little bit, just a little bit of dog poop. Just a little bit, right? Just a little bit. So you eat the brownies? Just a little bit, you guys, right? I mean, it does matter whether it was the little dog or the big dog, because there's a difference. No, I'm kidding. That's the joke they make in it. But, but the reality is, is just a little bit of covetousness, just a little bit of lying, just a little bit of stealing, just a little bit of adultery in my thought life, just a little bit ruins the whole batch. Be careful. Don't compromise. Don't let just a little bit in. When a little bit starts to come in, we need to fall on our knees, let it drive you to the cross and say, just a little bit of covetousness, Lord, I just need to give it to you. Lord, I repent, forgive me for desiring what they have and for being jealous and envious. I, I have to do it on a regular basis. Lord, forgive me for what crossed through my mind. Lord, forgive me for the lie that I wanted to tell or that I told. Lord, forgive me. It should drive us to the cross, guys. The law should drive us to the cross. It should drive us to the cross. So they're a guide to show us how to be more like Jesus. We don't want just a little bit to be our compromise, okay? So the next time that you begin to justify, okay? So I told you I'd come back to this, okay? The ESV version says, conduct yourself without the love of money. The love of money. Because covetousness, most of the time, intertwines with the love of money, doesn't it? With the love of money. Now, Scripture says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say it is the all kinds of evil, okay? Just understand it's the root of all kinds of evil. When we become so impassioned and so driven by our finances, by being wealthy, okay, uh, that's when we're more likely to make those compromises. We're more likely to lie on our taxes. We're more likely to live in a position of covetousness before the Lord, desiring what my neighbor has, always looking for the bigger and the better and, and the next greatest thing. Because it's never enough. You know that, right? You know that. It's never enough. Ask Elon Musk. When is it enough? I'll tell you when I get there. Ask them. It's never enough. What are they at, 200 billion right now? 150, 200 billion. I mean, it's insane, the worth of some of these people, but it's never enough. They keep investing in bigger companies to make more money because then it became a race between Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, and then it was never enough. Who's going to get it? Who's going to be the wealthiest man in the world? 
It's never enough, right? And so the love of money really drives this idea of covetousness a lot. Now let's take a quick look at this last section, okay? Exodus 20, 18 through 21. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled and they stood far off, verse 19, and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. It's really interesting, okay, because the scripture here, if you'll notice, right, Moses says, do not fear that the fear of him may be before you. Do not fear, but let the fear of him be before you so that you don't sin. So it almost sounds contradictory, doesn't it? He says, do not fear, but let that fear keep you from sinning. All right? So do not fear, but fear. All right? And so we're going to talk about two different kinds of fear. Reverent fear of God or tormenting fear of God. All right? The tormenting fear of God. Okay? So the reality here, what Moses is telling them, because scripture says here that they were afraid and they trembled and they stayed far away from God because they were afraid. And he says, do not fear like that. Don't fear like that, people. God is not an angry God waiting in heaven with a lightning bolt to strike you down when you break one of his laws. That's not who he is. We said in the beginning, we want to know what the commandment means. And I think we've done a decent job of breaking all 10 of them down. What does the commandment mean? What's it telling us? But what does it tell us about God? What does it tell us about God? When we talk about covetousness, it tells us his provision is enough. When we talk about lying, it reminds us that he is the truth. When we talk about stealing, it reminds us that he is Jehovah Jireh. He is the provider of all things. We don't need to steal. When we talk about adultery, Scripture says that we will be in the marriage supper of the Lamb. He is the groom and you are the bride. And if marriage represents our relationship and intimacy with God, how vile adultery becomes. Because it breaks that relationship of intimacy that God created to say, this is an example of me and my church. It is a deep intimacy, knowing you, okay? Those of you guys that are married, you know, knowing you like I've never known anyone else in my entire life. That's what intimacy is, okay? Our culture has messed up the idea of intimacy. To our culture, intimacy equals sex. No, sex is a byproduct, a beautiful byproduct of true intimacy in marriage. True intimacy in marriage. And so when we look at that, we see the character of God in each of these things that he's commanded us. 
And so Moses is saying, hey, don't fear God in the place when you hear these commandments to say, I need to stay away from him because he's angry and he's going to come after me. But fear God in the sense of you are recognizing that he is the creator of the universe and that his presence is holy. And that when we go into his presence, we should go there with reverent fear, recognizing who he is, recognizing that he's worthy of everything, and recognizing who we are. We're broken. In Matthew, Jesus says, you're poor in spirit. You're bankrupt before a holy God. Nothing to bring him. Nothing at all. But he says, come, enter into my throne room and worship me. It's so beautiful when we look at it from that standpoint that we don't need to live in this fear that when I make a mistake, we need to understand that this, this holy God is merciful, is gracious, and is forgiving. And when we understand that these things reveal the character of who God is, then we can freely come to him. Scripture says, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Guys, freedom's not the ability to do whatever I want to do. Freedom is understanding who God is and being able to freely come to him and live and obey his commands. We have a freedom from guilt. We have a freedom from, think about it. You know, if you lie, you end up spending so much time worried that that lie will be found out, right? You spend so much time coming up with deeper lies and these types of things. If I live in truth, I don't have to do that. I'm free. I'm free from the, all of the consequences of that. If I live in the truth of Scripture and do sex and, and, and marriage and these things the way that God has designed them, I live free from guilt. I live free from whatever comes along with, with that ideal that the world has in sex and intimacy. From the pain and the brokenness that people experience. I was reading a book and, and it said, imagine a world where every single person in it followed God's design for sex. Imagine that world. And that's just one element. It's a very broken part of our culture, okay? But imagine a world where every single person followed that design. Wouldn't it be beautiful? If people waited until they were married, if married couples never committed adultery, if married couples worked through all of their issues, it, it, it would be perfect. Now we're sinful, so it doesn't exist. So you can only imagine that world until we get to heaven then that world can exist. So you know, don't build some doctrine off of that. I'm not talking about marriage in heaven, all right? Um, I'm not 
and I don't uh, apply to the Mormon idea of eternal marriage. So, um, but the ideal there is that in God's perfect heaven is the only place that you're going to find perfection. We're never going to be able to find it here, right? So we need to stand in reverent fear of God, not walking in the, uh, in the tormenting fear of God that you're going to make a mistake and you're going to break one of these commandments because here's the reality. You're going to break one of these commandments, but let breaking one of these commandments drive you to the cross. Let it drive you to your knees in the throne room of God because he's opened that up for you because of the cross. Let it drive you to your knees and say, Lord, I blew it. I blew it. I lied to my boss. I stole. I did this. I did that. Lord, I come before you repenting. Lead me in the right thing to do. Help me not to do it again right? True repentance is turning around, going the opposite way from what you used to do. That's what repentance is about. It's not just saying, I'm sorry, because you feel guilty in the moment, right? So as we look at the law, as we wrap up the law today, please understand, church, the law is meant to show us how gracious and loving and merciful God is. It's meant to drive us to his cross as sinners. And so that's what I hope. Even as we prepare our hearts, John, these guys are going to come and they're going to sing a song as we prepare our hearts for communion. Okay? And I want you just to spend a few minutes with Jesus as they sing. And I want you to ask him, Lord, show me these spots where I just need to repent before you. That's what this time of preparing our hearts for communion is all about. It's about sitting before a holy God in his throne room and saying, God, show me my weaknesses and help me to surrender them to you. All of them. Maybe the week's been great. Maybe last week was messy. And this week will be better. Either way, we still need more of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's prepare our hearts for communion, church. Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Williams at Redemption Church in Delray Beach. Thank you so much for listening to that message. We pray it was an encouragement. It was a blessing to you as we love to pursue and to proclaim Jesus together. And so no matter where you're listening, whether it be YouTube or our podcast, you can go to more resources at redemptiondb.com and even partner with us in ministry to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. God bless you. And thank you so much for listening.